are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Ah, the book of Job. I have to say, this is one of my favorite books of the Hebrew Scriptures, though far from the easiest. We are getting a four-Sunday whirlwind tour through the book, one that just barely scratches the surface of what Job invites the reader to wrestle through. When I was a divinity student at Trinity College in Toronto, I took a course called Wisdom Literature and Job, taught by a wiry and utterly challenging professor from St. Michael's College named Anthony Soresco. Father Soresco taught a course in the wisdom literature every year, with one year largely focused on the Proverbs, one on Ecclesiastes, and one on Job. Now, it wasn't that I was so committed to Job that I waited until that year rolled round, by no means. I just wanted to dig into the wisdom tradition And it happened that it was the year of Job that worked in my schedule. Good thing. Father Soresco offered a couple of weeks on the wisdom tradition generally, introducing us to the fairly content and grounded world of the Proverbs, the somewhat troubled vision of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity, And then on to the puzzling matter of Job. The book of Job, says the introductory essay in the New Oxford Annotated Bible, the book of Job does not explain the mystery of suffering or justify the ways of God with human beings, but it does probe the depths of faith in the midst of suffering, and it does. Our quick four-week jump through the book won't begin to do it justice, nor really even touch on what the masterful author was attempting to do. Last week we had a reading that opened with the first chapter of, the first verse of chapter one. There was once was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Then, after that verse, we jumped into chapter 2, where we have been told that Satan, literally the adversary, that's what that name means, had been given permission from God to test Job right down to his very bones. And the Satan does. So much so that our reading ended last Sunday with Job's wife coming to him and telling him, curse God and die. But no, he won't do that. And he answers her by saying, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? With the text then adding, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Right after that episode, Job is joined by three friends. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite, 
who come to sit with him in his distress in the ashes. They sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, the text says, and no one spoke a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Here's the interesting thing, though. To this point in the story, it's all written in prose. Very simple story. But at the beginning of chapter 3, it suddenly shifts into poetry, where it remains until partway through the final chapter, chapter 42, when it shifts back to prose again. That's over 40 chapters of poetry compared to just two and a half chapters of prose. And if you read just the prose, just the opening two chapters and the little closing section of chapter 42, you do have a picture of a patient, just, unflinching, faithful Job who is vindicated for his long-suffering faithfulness. But inserted between the opening and closing sections, we hear Job rage, complain, agonize, assert, and challenge God to show him what he has done to deserve this mess that his life has become. Oh, that I knew where I might find God, that I might come to God's dwelling. I would lay my case before the Lord and fill my mouth with arguments. That's from chapter 23, which is a response to a rather uprightly pious speech by his so-called friend Eliphaz, who has said to him, Agree with God and be at peace. In this way, good will come to you. And if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness from your tents. That's how so much of the book works, you see. One of these three friends will come forward and say to him, essentially, God rewards the good and punishes the wicked. You are clearly suffering, so being punished. Therefore, you must have acted wickedly. Repent and be restored. And then Job will respond by saying, show me. Show me where I've sinned. Show me, one of you three, show me, Lord, what have I done? And I'll repent. But until you show me where I've gone wrong, my suffering is meaningless. With that, with an odd little pause here and there, that's the shape of the book of Job from chapter 3 through chapter 31 which concludes with the line, the words of Job are ended. And then, from chapter 32 through 37, another character arrives named Elihu, who launches into a whole new series of speeches, all saying essentially, God is greater than any mortal, so just surrender, Job. Interestingly, Job makes no reply to Elihu's speeches, which has led many biblical scholars to wonder whether those speeches might actually be later additions. We'll never really know, of course, and in some ways it isn't important. What we do see is Job as a man who can't back away from a core conviction that something has gone badly, 
badly, badly wrong. So that's where tonight's text really begins to make sense. As Job laments, and he laments with real urgency, if I go forward, God is not there. Or backward, I cannot perceive God. On the left, God hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty's terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness, thick darkness would cover my face. I just want to disappear. But I can't accept the words of these so-called comforters who say that I must, must somehow deserve this suffering. No. Come and show yourself, Lord, and tell me what I've done. So we get just one brief section from that long, long section in which the friends, the comforters, come one after another, calling Job to confess his sins and be restored, and Job insistently replying, show me, and I'll confess. One little section tonight of this whole long set of chapters in the book. Next week, we'll have an excerpt from the four-chapter response from God, spoken out of the whirlwind. But for now, I think it's important to sit with Job and hear his protests. It's important because Job is not the only one who faces apparently meaningless struggles and suffering. He's not the only one who feels a need to rise up and shake his fist at the very very throne of God, saying essentially, show me, Lord, how this makes any sense at all. Even for the person who manages to face their apparently meaningless struggles, whether that's a, a physical condition or some other great loss, even for those who face that with grace and patience, there will always be just a little bit of Job tucked in them somewhere, probably not too terribly far from the surface. That voice will begin to murmur from time to time, often in the middle of the night, when our emotional selves are the most vulnerable, saying, yes, yes, I know you love your God and that's fine, but why this, why you? Make sense of this or not. It's perhaps an odd text to have in front of us on the weekend of the Canadian Thanksgiving. It's not something the architects of the lectionary would have taken into account when they landed Job's agony squarely on our plate on this day. That's why in many parishes the decision will have been made to duck out of this particular set of readings and opt instead for the safer, more predictable reading from Joel which is assigned as the Thanksgiving weekend Old Testament text. But I don't think that's a wise move to make. Because the truth is that we will always have in our midst some people who have a little bit of Job's voice nagging at their ear, pressing that question, Why me? Why this? Why now? We need to be able to ask those questions. If only on those moments of late-night panic when our defenses are low and our anxieties are high. 
we need to remember Job. Not just the so-called faithful Job who accepts whatever comes his way, but this Job as well, the Job of the long poetic section. This Job who cries out, protests, shakes his fist at the very throne of heaven, and stubbornly dares to say, show me what I've done, show me how this makes any sense at all, show me. And maybe for people who are living with those deep-seated struggles, it's particularly important that this reading lands on the Thanksgiving weekend. Maybe that's precisely the time to remember that things are not always as they should be, and to dare to press God for an answer. For those of us who are finding our lives to be relatively in balance, all COVID things under consideration, and who aren't walking with deep physical or emotional challenges, it's significant to pause here tonight and to remember those whose lives are not in such good shape. I know that's true for me. I had a Thanksgiving lunch today, surrounded by friends and in the company of a partner, and tomorrow I'll host a smaller gathering in my own home with just a few folks from my immediate family circle. Each of these gatherings is important, for it's good, it's biblical, in fact, to feast together in gratitude. But in between those two Thanksgiving meals, it's important for me that I hear Job's voice crying out in anguish, longing to be met by his God, longing for some sense to be made of his life. Let his voice sound in your ears tonight and through the week. Here, as he says, today also my complaint is bitter, God's hand is heavy, despite all my groaning. Sit with that, and at the same time, just leave him there for the week. His story isn't over. We'll pick it up next Sunday. But of course, neither are any of our stories over. Not yet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.